my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Dave Stewart, who I'm linked up with here, and who's already provided us with a full and detailed history under separate cover of his 70 or so years on the angling scene, is widely acknowledged as being the best all-round angler the UK has ever produced. But as we've been going along, your late wife Kay has also had more than the odd favourable mention here and there, and yet again I'm reliably informed that she too is worthy of the label Angling Legend. So please, tell us more. Okay, well naturally I agree with you, but we'd also add that Kay was the best female all-rounder the UK's ever produced. As Brian Harris has said that about me, it must be said about Kay. As I sit here in the computer room, I'm surrounded by photographs of Kay posing with many species of fish, game, sea and course. Looking at them all, I'm amazed myself. It would doubtless be considered that I was prejudiced in her favour. But how else would you describe a lady who has caught 89 species of fish that we could name, plus a few we couldn't? Kay got known around the London area and many London fishing clubs because in our young days we showed fishing films of ourselves catching many species, game, sea and coarse fish. It started because we made an amateur film for ourselves for a bit of fun and showed it to a friend who was a club secretary. He asked us to show it to his club and invited a couple of other club secretaries also wanted us to show the thing and it snowballed from there. Probably because we never charged anything, not even expenses. We also had a lot of laughs with my talk over and some of the quips from the guys. As I occasionally set up fish for anglers, a chap brought in the head of a £22 pike his kid had caught and asked if I could mount it on a board. How they severed the head from the body, God only knows, as it was very ragged just past the head. Thinking how I could use this ragged pike head for a bit of fun, we took it with us on a pike trip, and I filmed Kay deliberately making an absolutely massive strike, and she winds in this head. These early films were without a soundtrack, so I did a talk over, of course, and when I said, I believe you struck too hard, love, it got out of a laugh. Also remember one shot of Kay returning a carp when a guy yelled out, I'd have kept the carp and chucked her back. Kay had a great sense of humour and didn't mind this sort of macho banter. Of course, showing films may well have helped us in the fish and tackle business, and I noticed even blokes were quite willing to discuss angling and tactics for various species with that lady. Kay never needed anyone to unhook her pike or barracuda for that matter. Being the gentleman I am, maybe I would have offered, but only if I wasn't busy, like drinking a cup of tea or eating a sandwich, for example. While I'm mentioning the angling films we made, although I think they were very poor quality compared with the modern equipment one can use, the Richworth boys wanted me to make it into a professional video, so I had Tay and I up at Shepherd's Bush Studios to do a talk over and a chat about fishing, and I had a stinking cold at the time. Kay nearly always came with me to our film shows, and if I was not well, rather than let anyone down, she would take the equipment and give the show. She would have had to do the talk over, but whether she gave a talk or answered questions afterwards, I don't know. In 1993, the magazine Carp World featured Kay, then in her 60s, on their front cover with a couple of carp, 36 and 25 and a half pounds, not big by the standards of the day, especially as we were fishing in France, but as we had more or less given up fishing for carp long before that, we did enjoy the odd trip. 
What I'm mentioning it here is that whoever wrote the caption must have known she carpish years before. The caption read, Kay Stewart, star of carp films and books before most of us started carp fishing. She was also on the cover of a Civil Service Angling Association bulletin with a pike over £20, and of course pictures of her appeared in many of the articles I wrote and our films, and I can think of three features about her written by other authors. Of course, I suppose any angler, or any lady angler I should have said, who gets around the fishing world and after retirement around the world fishing, and is capable of catching as well as any man, is bound to get noticed. And as she worked on Saturdays in our fishing tackle shop, I've already pointed out that anglers were always prepared to discuss tactics and tackle with her, as they knew she could get fish of most species. Getting around the world, I remember we were in the restaurant on the top floor of a hotel in Costa Rica, having our first course, when there was an earthquake, the building was shaking violently, everybody disappeared, and I went to the window to see what was happening. The street below was packed with people who'd run out from the buildings. I went to the kitchen, it was empty of staff. It quickly went through my mind that there was little point in trying to get the ground floor in time if the building was going to collapse, and my stomach had turned over as I really thought we'd had it. Kay went on drinking her soup. The staff came back, saw Kay still at the table, then came out with a slim silver vase in which there was a beautiful red rose. They handed it to Kay with the words, For the very brave lady. I couldn't finish my soup and didn't order anything else as my stomach was... Ugh. Kay's main meal came which she obviously enjoyed and she ordered a sweet. Brave lady, she really was. Also while in Costa Rica... Coming in from fishing for tarpon out at sea, the skipper used to ride the big surf coming into the estuary. We were only in a sort of a punt, much like a Thames punt. Anyway, he was off for the day and the standing guy got it wrong. So when we come in, he had the boat sideways and almost horizontal under the crest of the big wave. Everything felt the side and we were hanging on to our seats, but luckily we made it. When we tied up at the quay, all the other guys were yelling at him without doubt giving him one hell of a lecture in their Portuguese language. I'd love to have known what they were saying. If I'd known Portuguese, he'd have got a mouthful of me too. Three days later, we put a man and woman in the sea. Boats rushed out and got the guy out quickly. It was half hour before they found the lady. If they hadn't insisted we all wear life jackets, it's doubtful she would have made it. The chap went out the next day, but the lady wouldn't and the day after that a flying and unscheduled plane as the couple insisted on leaving the lodge. It was an interesting trip other than the fishing, as when we were leaving we were just picking up speed in our plane when the pilot braked hard. He said something of the passenger sitting beside him and the guy got out, looked underneath, and then we were told to leave the plane. The front tyre was very soft. If we'd landed like that it would have probably dug in and we'd have probably flipped over. Obviously our time wasn't up yet with the three things that might have been our ending, but we had to stay an extra night as they had to fly in a pump, not a plane, a pump, to pump the bloody tar up. I said earlier that I would tell the tale of our first day at sturgeon fishing, as then you will see what I and any other anglers were up against when fishing with Kay. As we were well into our sixties on that first trip, we had long since got past the necessity to rush out early to get a swim or grab every minute. So when we rolled up the river, our friends were already fishing, 
and one of them was playing a sturgeon. When boat fishing at sea for the big boys, Kay and I would take it in turns at the rod, and always let Kay have the first hit. So we'd already decided to do that also with the sturgeon fishing. Danny, our guide, took us out and parked very near to our friend playing the fish. In Canada, you're allowed one rod per angler, so out went three baits. One for us, two for us, and three for us, as the guide really puts his bait on the third rod out for his clients. Within five minutes, over goes the tip, so Kay, having first hit, grabbed the rod and whacked it, sort of. As when a sturgeon is making off at high speed, it's more like just hanging on harder for a second than striking. About 50 metres downstream, there's a huge splash as this first sturgeon tries to fly. The fish then takes off again at speed downstream, so I said to Danny, you'd better up anchor. He looked at me a bit funny as we took off after the fish. Within half hour, Kay got the beast beaten, so she hung on while Danny towed it towards the shore to take some pictures. Our friend came down a bit later with his fish, which he had played an hour, so Danny borrowed his guide to help him lift the fish for Kay so that I could photograph her with it. Sturgeon recovered fairly quickly, so after measuring it, Kay soon waved it goodbye. Our friend's fish was £160, the same as Kay's was reckoned to be, but he played it much, much longer. But they didn't chase it, and only towed it down at the shallows after it was played out. By coincidence, £160 was the same weight as Kay's first common skate. I realised why Danny had looked at me a bit funny, as they didn't usually chase after them unless they were absolute monsters. But the following year we noticed all our boatmen followed fish except for the very small ones. Anyway, it was my turn then. Soon the rod tip nodded and I played out my first third. £45. When the next bite came, Kay asked me if I would take it. She'd had a sore hand, well, a sore finger, really. Only a few days before we went on the trip, Kay had a finger they called trigger finger. It would stay closed if she'd got her hand shut. Then when she opened her hands, it would stay closed, but it would suddenly spring open like a trigger. A doctor had advised a cortisone injection down the finger, and that had cured the problem. But after playing the fish, it was sore. So I took the next one, it was much bigger, 85 pounds. When another fish took the bait, Kay said now her finger was rested, she would have that one. And after a bit of hard work, we were taking pictures of a 220 pounder. So Kay's first two sturgeon, 160 and 220. And my first two were 45 and 85. If we'd taken the bites in turn as we usually did, the larger fish would have been mine. Of course, I accused of being in league with the devil and therefore knowing the size of fish picking up the offerings. Over eight or nine trips after sturgeon, Kay had many hundred pounders, at least three others over two hundred pounds. John Roberts, who was one of our party, told us that Danny was amazed at the speed at which we could land the fish. He said he'd had great big lumberjacks take much longer, but what amused me was when he said, and they're only little. On several trips Kay showed her ability, in Ireland for example, when we were fishing in Tralee Bay, her first skate, the 160 pounder, was brought to the boat in 25 to 30 minutes, but we did harness her up. She was also harnessed up when she hooked another big skate, a fish the skipper said must have been massive. They usually brought to the boat even if it takes a while, and it is a big fish. Perhaps because the bay is relatively shallow, this skate decided to swim off. 
After a couple of hundred yards or so of line had gone from the wheel, we decided we should follow it as it swam very slowly and powerfully out in the bottom. We slowly passed the Maori Islands when Skipper Byrne said we'd gone about a mile. At one time it did a surge and pulled Kay hard at the edge of the gunnel, but then Kay started to raise it from the floor. Bit more pumping and it was gone. It could come out. What was unbelievable was that the hook had almost been closed to the point to the point was near the eye. It was a six o O'Shaughnessy hook, and I've tried to close one in a vice, no way. I was a bit angry as a guy named Tim Ely, who asked to join us on the boat, told us that the ten o I was using was too big and advised a smaller hook. As it was our first trip after skating, this old boy was supposed to know about catching them, we took his advice. I picked the tenno as we were using old mackerel for bait, and the tenno, even a twelve-o, seemed about right size to me. After that episode, we always used the bigger hook. The skipper measured some fraying of the long plastic-covered wire trace and declared that it would have been larger than anything he'd seen, probably well over two hundred pounds. In Mexico, Kay beat a strike mile and the skipper put it two fifty, which was a very big one for Mexico, apparently. Oh, they catch them like that off New Zealand where the record was caught. Although we both caught several strike mollen, I never got one above £150. Probably before I tell more tales of her fishing life, it might be as well to tell how we met and how she became so keen to fish. Even our meeting was due to fishing in a way as it was the closed season and I suggested to my best fishing mate that I'd drive down to the coast and we'd chuck a bait of some sort off the beach. Doug Clay, my fishing pal, was about 15 years older than me. As it was just going to be a mucking about thing just to use a rod, I suggested he bring his wife, and if we don't fish too long we can go and have a meal somewhere afterwards. Next day I got a phone call from Cathy, his wife, asking if she could bring a friend. As Cathy was Dougie's age and I was only 22, I thought it would be a lady quite a bit older than me so I was somewhat surprised when she came with this young girl, a 19-year-old. We didn't fish for long as we couldn't get bait and use earthworms. They dissolved in salt water. I had a lot to learn about sea fishing. Over a meal with plenty of chat, I found that this girl was bubbly and fun, and I liked her. And there was no doubt she liked me. So when we went home, Doug drove, and this girl and I sat in the back and talked and talked and talked. Doug drove to his house, so I drove this young lady home. We made a date, and that's how I met Kay. In those days, a date was nearly always a trip to the pictures, as hardly anyone had television which was still very new. So Kay turned up at the tackle shop near closing time, and I introduced her to my partner, Dennis. He closed up, and we walked just along the road to the Ritz Cinema. Having a clue what the film was, but no matter. When we were shown to our seats in the dark, I handed Kay the box of chocolates that I'd bought for her. They were in a pretty box and around it was a nice ribbon tied in a bow, a nice red ribbon actually, all contained within a tight cellophane covering. And Kay had a little difficulty but managed to remove it all, opened the box and held it for me to take a chocolate. I was having a lot of difficulty trying to remove the crinkled silver paper from around the chocolate as my eyes were getting used to the darkness. And then I could see enough to realise that I was trying to remove non-existent silver paper from a dog biscuit. In those early days of the fishing tackle business, we also sold pet food. And Dennis, a friend in the shop, 
had somehow managed to remove the fancy bow and wrapping when I went out shopping. Replace all the chocolates with dog biscuits and then get the bow and wrapping back. I was bloody furious. But Kay, thank goodness, thought it was very funny. If Kay had not got a sense of humour, that might have been the end of a romance before it really blossomed. But as friends have said to me, Kay and I were meant to be, and we really gelled and like each other's character and company, as no doubt we were soon in love. At that time, Kay was working for the GPO, the General Post Office, as a telephonist up in London. And when we met, she'd been transferred to the Festival of Britain's telephone exchange. She had this sense of humour, more subtle than mine, but she would also try anything for fun. Apparently near to where she worked was the hairdresser Teasy Weezy, a famous guy. In fact, he used to be on television a bit in the early days. Well, not in the early days, because it wasn't around then, but later on he was anyway. Anyway, apparently this guy would do the girls, the telephonist girls, during their lunch hours. He'd do their hair, any style, as long as they let him experiment on the hair with colouring and all sorts of things, they'd get it done for nothing. So Kay would sometimes have coloured streaks and every week a different hairstyle. And after one coloured job involving several of the girls when they all went back to work, their supervisor was not very pleased. One day she turned up blonde and I really liked it, so I asked her to stay that way, so she did. Funnily enough... We went to a meeting soon after that, Twickenham Piscatorial Society meeting, where she'd already joined and I was a member. Anyway, the guys were chatting her up and I was talking to some other blokes about fishing or something and I heard somebody say close by, Oh, Dave Stewart's the lady with him. It's not his wife, is he? So it shows how she looked quite different being blonde. I know that when she did go blonde, they used to call her the blonde bombshell, where she wouldn't take any truck from anybody, I can tell you. Anyway, when Kay and I became serious, I told her it was daft going up to London every morning when there was a telephone exchange within cycling distance of her home in Molesey. So she got transferred and saved hours in travelling time, and even though she loved the lights of London and going to shows with the girls and all that, she was happy to have more time with me. Money-wise, she gained too as although she lost the London allowance, without any travelling costs, she was better off. Eventually she moved into administration, and with BT, which the telephone side of the GPO became, she did very well. She was cleared under the Official Secrets Act to work sometimes in the bunkers in Uxbridge, where the government would go if there was a nuclear war. But she wouldn't tell anybody about it, not even me. But she did say that when she was called to work there and said to her boss she was off out, and wouldn't tell him where she thought that was quite amusing. Obviously I knew she was bright, and she was soon doing the firm's books, the purchase stacks back then, which became BAT, and once she was in administration at BT, there was no longer any Saturday or Sunday working, so she worked every Saturday in the shop. After she died and I went through various papers, I found an old school report she had kept, a very good one, and she was head girl, she never told me that. I know she fell in love with me soon after we met. I know that, as it was in her diaries. And it's amazing, as she knew, of course, that I'd been very ill with the dreaded tuberculosis, which was contagious and infectious and considered the white man's scourge. And I've said many people died with it. She also knew that I'd had the ribs removed from one side and was still attending the Hounslow Chest Clinic every three months. 
and consequently that I was wary of marriage, so we courted for three years before we got married, by which time I only had to have a yearly check-up. Once we got married, Kay also had to have a yearly check-up. I didn't get signed off the books until I was 40. Since Kay died and I've read her diaries, she wrote in them that she wanted us to marry within a year. She never ever told me that. Oh yes, and by the time she married she was a pretty good angler. And she was a good cook too. I think I've already said when I was bragging about myself that she was a wonderful wife, but also a best friend, best fishing mate, and I loved her company. It was only on a second date that I took her fishing, and I could tell she was keen to learn. I managed to help her catch a few ropes. She didn't really need my help for long, and was soon becoming good at any type of fishing that I showed her. In a short time she was catching tench, carp, barbel and pike, along with the smaller species. But there was no doubt that she liked the bigger species best. She liked the way she had to play them, and as many women have what I call horseman's hands, a real feel for controlling the reins, and in Kay's case, a real feel went to pull or let line. I found out later that her mother used to fish in Loch for trout with the fly, so perhaps there's some in there. Anyway, Kay learned to use a fixed ball wheel with clutch control and all that very quickly, and soon learned to use a multiplier, and to Wallace type cast from a centre pin and how to fish the fly, although she was opposite of me and cast better with the double-handed salmon rod than with the trout rod. I cast better with the single-handed tool. Of course, as she was soon catching well and we fished so much together, she was soon featuring in my articles, with an occasional mention in the press, but it was bound to happen as she really loved going fishing. I found that out too when I read her diaries, when she mentioned how nice it was to be out fishing with a day, and that was even when we blanked. It was great fishing together, although we might be swims apart, and apart from very close friends, or youngsters we were helping to learn to fish, we didn't need anyone else, and the last thing we wanted was to get on the circuit or the bandwagon. One of the rivers Kay liked a lot was the River Kennet. She liked the barbel as a fish that really ran you around, not with the swagger or acrobatic ability of salmon or trout, although in some rivers they do jump a lot at dusk or after dark, but the barbel generally never jump when hooked, but whether small or large, they also strengthen a dogged fight rather than succumb to the dignity of the landing net. Kennet fish back in the 50s and 60s rarely topped seven pound, but we caught them in good numbers, whether Kay with her ledger or me float fishing. By both methods, we often would get over 20 fish in a late afternoon and evening after closing the shop on Sunday. When we had the full day off on Sunday, we would occasionally motor down to Christchurch to fish the Wortley fishery, with a chance of a fish over £10. Common now, but fairly scarce back then. But it wasn't just the chance of a £10-pounder that drew us to the place, as we were happy to catch barbel of any size. But it was also the sea trout and the chub that came our way, and that made the journey worthwhile. Over the years, I had a number of Wortley barbel over £10, but Kay, although she caught dozens of barbel, never got over nine pound plus. It certainly never bothered her, and when she tried to swim, rather than ledged, she caught several good sea trout and quite a lot of salmon. Very good fun on the float gear. She had a couple topping twenty pounds, but I recall a particularly lively salmon about fourteen pound that ran her down from above the piles, under the footbridge by the house where she managed to pass the rod through with some help, then round to the falls where it was landed. 
What I remember is about a dozen anglers following down the river much to our annoyance. Much the same happened when we were fishing on our water before we bought it, with the previous owner's consent, of course, we were fishing. There's now a tall fence and hedge beside the mill pool, but then it was a low paling fence and there was a road the other side. Kay hooked a salmon that went hammering downstream with her in hot pursuit, past where she could follow through the bridge at our lower boundary, where she managed to turn it. She walked it back up a bit and then the fish decided to head back up it to the mill pool, just what Kay wanted. She then kept it in the mill pool, but it was a tough one and took her a while before it could be tailed. In the road outside, on the fence, were about at least a dozen people following her down and back up. When about halfway, a lady leaning on the fence said, Don't lose it. Kay's retort was rather sharp. What the hell do you think I'm trying not to do? When this 17 pound fish was banked, much to Kay's embarrassment, the audience all clapped. Now let's talk about Barbel. When fishing the River Kennet, she caught many bags of Barbel over a dozen fish and I think her best days while fishing on that river was when she had 27 fish. Of course they weren't large fish, generally between 3 and 6 pounds, but what they lacked in size they sure made up for in fighting ability. And though she had caught plenty over that weight of 9 pound plus, I think I'm right in saying she considered that her best catch, that's the 27 fish of course, it was only one an afternoon and evening trip from around 3.30 until dusk. I think she was float fishing at the time too. And of course, you get one every cast and you never miss them. The River Kennet then was just one long barbel swim. Didn't seem to matter where you chucked in, deep or shallow, fast or slow, before the long the rod would be whacking over or the float going down. We used to enjoy our trips to fish the Trent with Ken Clower too, where we never blanked. But we didn't get doubles either. Out of many fish, only one top £10, but we did get plenty to eight £9, so that was good enough for us. I usually fish with Ken, but Ken's best friend George used to cart Kay off somewhere and they did all right. I think he liked her company and the fishing lady was something unique for him. Ken and I went to Ken's 80th birthday party and they had really put on a good day for him. But it seemed that it was soon his 90th birthday. <laughs> Wait, time flies, eh? His wife Carol suggested another party. At least as good as his 80th. But he said no, he'd rather go to paradise. Now at 80, that could be misconstrued and have Carol think he was tired of life. But we're talking about 90 now. So there you go. Anyway, what he wanted was for the anniversary... He wanted a few days fishing at Abbey Mill Fishery, so Carol rang me and it was arranged. It worked out fine as he caught his largest ever brown trout at over £9. Kay was 71 when she got her first double-figure fish. That was in 2002 when we fished the lower seven for the first time. Kay got the first fish, very nice fish at 12.1, followed by a fish of 8.9. Very soon after, he got an even larger barbel in cracking condition that beat my best at that time. It weighed 13.5. But as if that wasn't enough for her, she then got a couple more, 10.6 and 7.11. Three doubles on her first trip to that mighty river. I only got a couple that trip, but one was a double, thank God. £10.13. I did get a nice chub, though, at 5.13. Okay, did get a couple more doubles after that, but her fishing had to pack up completely in 2004 when she became very ill. The very last fish she ever caught at 73 years of age was in 2004. 
It was a 32 pound carp which was a fitting finish to 54 years of angling. Chris Ball, who collects its things as old rods and reels and that sort of thing, had a hollow glass barber rod that Kay used for a long time before we went over to Carver. He said it had a very nice action, but I think he liked it because he collects tackle, and Kay had her signature on it. He also took a couple of our homemade buzzers, which if battered, yeah, would still work fine. As Kay worked for the GPO when we made them, she had access to rejected platinum relay contacts which the engineers were discarding and of course they never corrode. I don't collect anything and Kay would not want her tackle hanging around unused so I've given it a lot of it away. One is Sipperant was Stu Harris, that's Brian Harris's son, who told me he'd had his Rapidex centre pin reel stolen so I gave him one of Kay's. Phoned me soon afterwards to tell me he was using the reel for his tent fishing and he'd played and landed a 20 world 25 pound cart, and it would be with him till the day he died. That was nice, Kay would have been pleased. One morning on her own bit of water, there was a salmon lying where I could cover it quite well, but I just not could get it to take anything. I tried it with spinners, plugs, bones and shrimp, but it wouldn't play ball. This was years ago before the house was built. So we'd gone down the night before and slept in the hut and I'd gone out for a try before Kay got ready. Well, someone has to wash up the breakfast things. Having left the uncatchable fish and gone to try upstream above the sluices, I soon had a couple of fish, and took them down to put in the shade beside the hut, and then went up again to try a different lie. Within an half hour, Kay came up and asked, Would you tie another prawn on for me, please? I've lost mine. You know how to tie on prawns. Yes, but you redesigned the poor mount and I want to make sure I get it right. I thought it a bit strange as she knew well enough how to tie the bait, but I thought I'd better go down. I wasn't getting any takes anyway. So down I go with the lady, and there beside the hut were three salmon, not two. She had only gone and caught the one I couldn't get to take, and with her sense of humour and the fun we had winding each other up, that was her way of telling me. Well, I'd already shown the fisher map spinner. That's what she called it on. We had such a lot of fun with things like that during our fishing life. We definitely had a great marriage. Definitely before the house was built, when we arrived at the water, being a gentleman, I would put up the prawn rods and tie one on for her so that she could take her spinning rod for a cast or two with a mat before prawning. Quite often, first or second cast, she would get a fish. Although you cannot say what size of salmon is likely to come into a river, and 40 pounders seem to have gone forever in the southern rivers, although even on a small river like the Test, 30 pounders have been caught, one from our water, and I believe a 40 or two years ago, but on the Stour and Avon it may still be possible in the future. Chance of a big fish like that on the Test nowadays is very unlikely, and even the last 40 to come from the Avon was before my 39. And that was 35 years ago. So when Kay said one day it would be nice to get a 30, I told her that as long as she didn't mind what species, that was no trouble. But, and it was a big but, the chance of an Atlantic salmon over 30 was getting chancy. And even if one went to Norway or somewhere like that, perhaps several times, there was still no guarantee. But if a Chinook was OK, we would go to Alaska. Alaska was fantastic. 
but it was dampened by the fact that nothing much had been caught for a fortnight, although there were plenty of fishing evidence. The anglers were mostly trolling from boats and weren't catching much, but they fished high to avoid rocks and snags, and we found out from our own fishing that Chinook don't like to come up for a bait, not often anyway. We wanted to fish from the bank, and given a choice of method, we opted for rolling a coloured ball of wool along the bottom to imitate a ball of salmon eggs. Within ten minutes, Kay had a fish. We were English coarse anglers, so that method of us was a doddle. After running up and down the river a bit, the guide netted a 35-pounder for Kay. Bit coloured, but we were about 200 miles upriver from the sea. As I took Kay's picture, she said, we can go home now. We caught several salmon over 30 pounds and I got a 44. On a second trip I got the 51 pounder. We caught plenty of 20s too, but when the guide said we could trot with salmon eggs, when we tried it, it was almost too easy and so easy for us we spent so much time trotting we was like the Avon and test. We didn't like the floats they provided with the guide, they were like old-fashioned pipe bungs. But we fished that size, it certainly didn't seem to bother them. <laughs> the floats went down all right. On our second trip we took John Cross, who'd been left a few bob with the instruction to have a good holiday. He said it was the best holiday he ever had as his first fish was a small rainbow, but his second was a 40 pounder. He also saw and photographed a lot of wildlife and my 51 pounder. He could also have netted for me a fish we all thought would be over 60 pound. The guide wouldn't let John net it, but as we'd taken to the boat to chase it, the guy was trying to run the boat and net the fish. John had at least three chances when I had it alongside while the guy was busy at the tiller in the fast water, but while he was messing about, the hook opened a bit and the fish was gone. We caught a lot of fish on spoons and rolling a bait, but fishing with eggs had been banned. We were very successful as we had learned the year before that the fish wouldn't come up, so we were fishing almost touching the bottom where there were gravel beds and could watch the fish follow and take. One guy was fishing on the opposite bank while I was playing a fish called over that he never saw any of us when we weren't playing fish. John wanted a fish on the fly and got a 35 like that so he was a very happy bunny as he also caught plenty on other methods. Kay also had plenty but when she fly fish she lost a good one so went back to spinning. The guide fell in love with Kay's 15-foot fly rod, so when we left she gave it to him. I had to get her another one. From the day she first fished with me, always gave her the same tackle to use as I was using, so she didn't have inferior stuff as some blokes give their wives or girlfriends to use. I know that's true as I had to sell it to them. One morning we'd taken a young Thames angler down to the water to fish for grayling which he'd never caught. Robert who was stone deaf from meningitis, would not believe that you could catch fish as big as salmon from such a small river as the Test compared to the Thames. So when Kay walked down to her favourite lighter chucker met while I was tying on the pawns and hooked a fish first cast, Robert came charging back up to me, yelling his head off, Kay, look at a massive fish. So I took the camera for some action shots, and as it turned out, it was only a ten-pounder, but a lovely spring fish with sea lice. As well as the action shots, I took a picture of Kay with Robert and the fish, which he said he would remember all his life. I think he was about 17 then. Now he's 50. He moved to Trinidad, 
and has caught some pretty impressive seafish out there, as well as, as massive conga and other seafood here. By the turn of the century, as the salmon fishing here had become so very poor compared to what it was, and although Kay loved her salmon fishing, she was so disillusioned with the state of affairs that she refused to buy a salmon licence. She still bought a coarse fishing licence, though, and still fished for coarse fish and seafish. She was probably right, as the season here now only produces around a dozen or so salmon, although I did get 25 about four years ago, but when it is considered that 40 was a bad year here, and we almost double that usually, although we rarely fish more than one day each week, there is very bad deterioration. I could probably get a few more, but I won't fish when the temperature is high, and we return all fish now, and they are difficult to resuscitate in warm conditions. In our young days, not long after we met, I would take the carp fishing on a Saturday night when I was opening the shop on the Sunday morning. We would have breakfast with the water, and then I would drop her off at home on the way to work. Her parents and friends thought she was mad. We weren't always fishing close together either, and on one medium-sized lake we fished, she would be on one side of the lake and me on the other. I would hear a buzzer, then a wait, and then a swish of the rod as she struck. No bolt rings back then, as it was mostly free-lining. We didn't have all the home comforts there are now either for carpentry, just a couple of bollies and deck chairs, but we wore waders in case it rained as our legs would be sticking out. We wore those anyway for wading at the time. Talking of fishing different swims afar, once when fishing for tent I decided to fish an island while Kay stayed at fishing one of our good swims where we could park the caravanette so that she could also cook a meal for us during the day. When I rode across to eat, she already had a net full and ended the day with over a hundred pound of tench, plus roach and rud. She also had plenty of fish over four and five pounds, which were big for those days, and she cooked a jolly good meal. As most of us get a bit peeved if we lose a good fish, especially if it's through the fault of someone else, you may wonder if Kay ever got angry or upset if she lost a good fish. I only saw her lose her rag on a couple of occasions. The first time was when we were fishing up on the Thurso with Brian Harris for spring salmon. For the whole week we were there it was blowing a gale, mostly it seemed in your face, and the rain didn't come down, it came sideways. Kay was fishing one day, a very slow piece of the river, a bit down from where it sat decanted from a lock, and one had to get the fly out against the gale, very difficult. I was a couple of fields upstream of her when, carried on the wind, I heard her swear, something she rarely did. I looked down the river to see her chuck a rod down in disgust. Apparently she had got the fly out against the wind just right and it was fishing around nicely, though slowly without much flow, when she had a tape. As you do, she waited for the line to tighten when the fish threw itself into the air and out came the hook. In slow water you don't get the downstream boat to take the hook to the scissors when the fish opens its mouth, so in slow water she should have struck, not tightened. She never made the mistake again. I'm not sure if she was angry because she realised that or not, but I really thought she was going to jump on her rod. The other time I saw her angry was when we were fishing alongside Valencia Island in Ireland. It was too rough to go to the skate marks. So we were only bottom fishing for anything and we were catching cod, small conger and an odd tobe even. 
We had sent at the 6 O's through with several hundred yards of 30 pound line and a good strong wide trace in case we could escape. They were caught beside the island sometimes anyway. Kay hooked something that took off at a reasonable speed though and had probably taken 300 yards when it started to come up against the pressure Kay was applying. I appreciate that in the rough conditions it would not have been wise to chase it but when the skipper, old Covey, asked Kay what line she was using and when she said 30 pound, he grabbed the line and hung on saying you need 80 pound here. The line broke. I thought Kay was going to chuck him overboard. Kay knew what she was doing and had a good chance of the fish was slowing and coming up in the water. Giving Kay a chance to turn it, she was pretty mad. The only consolation was that Kay got absolutely soaked when we packed up to get back to the man in jetty. Personally, I think it was probably a poor beagle. No, there was a third time she got angry. Fishing with one of our good friends on the tramp for Barbel, he had turned over to fix spools after seeing us use them, but he always forgot to loosen his clutch when he wasn't holding the rod, because he was so used to centre pins and fish running off on a ratchet. Anyway, the result was a take and away went the lot. I managed to retrieve the line and tied it to a tree. Next day I also retrieved the rod and reel. The Mitchell 300 being full of water wouldn't be a good bet, so I said I would lend him one of our spare reels. Kay was fishing nearer to him than me, so I went and got her spare. She had two she used, and I doubt if her spare had ever been used. Our friend sat up and fished, and he's a good angler and was catching a stack of barb with about seven or eight pounds. Kay wanted to stretch her legs, so I went to his swim for a chat. He writes every fish down, so got out his list, and as he had over twenty, he was bragging a bit to Kay. Your rod. I'm not going to give his name. Your rod. Still bragging. Your rod. The rod flew into the river with Kay's almost new spare reel attached. We didn't get that lot back, or I must have spent a couple of hours trying, and I cast all up and down the river. Of course he replaced the reel, but the three hundreds weren't being made any more, so Kay never got one quite so good. She wasn't too happy about that, I'll tell you. There was a time also when she was a bit peeved and not really angry when fishing with tarpon in Florida. She'd caught a few tarpon by then, otherwise she might have been really angry. With the big sea fish, the skippers of some boats keep telling their clients to strike several times, but we didn't. We tried it, but reckon we sometimes struck out the hook, never mind in. Anyway, Kay struck into a fish which started the acrobatic display, and when it stopped, the skipper grabbed her rod and kept striking, telling her that a single strike wasn't enough, and he struck out the hook. Neither of us got a monster tarpon, but we got some over the ton, and I think Kay's best was £140, a bit bigger than my best. Tarpon were great fun, and Kay enjoyed the trips after them. She also thoroughly enjoyed our sea fishing trips in the British Isles, especially Cornwall and Ireland. We used to fish live sand eel over Pinnacle Rock for Pollock quite a bit in Cornwall. Got doubles, up to 18 pounds, and boy did they go when you first put the hook in. <laughs> they were trying to get down to the bottom. On the centre pin wheels we used, when some of our friends fished with us, they got severely wet knuckles if they weren't ready for it. But we did warn them, honest we did. One of the things Kay liked was spinning, not only for salmon, but also fish spinners, fruit spoons and plugs for chubbing the Thames, the Stour and anywhere else we went. And also pike and perch, of course, but she was fond of working down the river with a dead bait. I used to like rope fishing more than her, so we'd do both. So 
worked down the river pretty slowly, if at all, when I was catching roach in quantity. I figured that if there was a shoal of roach, then pike wouldn't be far away, and I did get a few nice fish of both species, an occasional two-pound roach or twenty-pound pike, but several over the years that would be one fifteen or nineteen fifteen sods law. Kay worked every little slack, even if it was only a metre square, and she caught a lot more pike than me, including a fair number of twenties. When I was on a bet I'd caught a good roach, she would say it would make a good life bait. I would have to look up the year, but it was a while ago, when the late John Goddard and his charming wife Eileen, the late well-known beach caster Les Monqueef, and his equally charming wife Dora, and Kay and I went on holiday at the Canaries. Of course we boys went sea fishing along with Kay, who would rather do that than laze around a pool or on a beach. We were after the big, very big bluefin tuna. But they were not around and that was happening except Kay got a shark, a hammerhead that was reckoned to be over £200 by the boys, but the skipper put it 169 That was the only take of the holiday. Kay also went out with Brian Harrison, another that well-known sea angler whose name I can't remember. Try and catch poor beagle sharks of the Isle of Wight. Although I did mention Kay's hammerhead when chatting about my life, I'm mentioning it again, as Kay seemed to get a fish when all was quiet. It must be those female pheromones. When poor Witcher filmed me here showing the late John Searle out to catch salmon almost instantly, in a short chat afterwards I said how the three biggest salmon from the UK were all caught by women. And I said then it must be the pheromones, but added, I'm going to have an hormone injection. Kay would have laughed at that. During the war, Kay was sent for a while to relatives in Scotland, from where her parents came. And thinking about her parents, I had to behave as her dad was a big copper, and her mother was a sister in an operating theatre. Her mother was a Campbell, and Kay's middle name was Campbell, and as I'm a Stuart, the claymores did come out sometimes, but in truth I can't remember us ever having a really serious row. But the reason for mentioning Scotland was that Kay learnt to play a bit of golf while she was there, and when she was running along the bank after a big carp in Canada, and another angler was in the way, she would yell, Four! If I put my thinking cap on, I could no doubt think of many more stories about my Kay. But all things must come to an end some time or other. Although I'm sure most of us would like to continue a much longer journey through life that too must end. When I had a small stroke in 2000 and Kay told me that she would still wish to stay if I had another one that ended my life, both of us naturally thought I would go first. But poor Kay had some serious internal bleeding start which eventually led to various operations and problems for her. The bleeding was arrested and Kay was told she could go on holiday that year abroad, which we did. And she appeared to be fine and caught plenty of fish. At home for a fortnight was followed by a trip to use the double-handed gear in Scotland on the River Dee with our friends Tom and Pat Savile. After the first day, Kay didn't fish as she was feeling unwell and on the morning of the third day was rushed off to Aberdeen Hospital with a serious internal bleed. I don't wish to go into a detailed account of Kay's illness, but a major operation in Aberdeen was followed a while later by a serious heart attack, and eventually I guess she'd had enough. There is no doubt she made an impression wherever she was, even when very ill in hospital she was mostly smiling and making jokes. 
Tay was in hospital in Aberdeen in July, and yet months afterwards at Christmas, a card came through the post signed by all the nurses and doctors in Aberdeen Hospital, which you know well. In both Winchester Hospital and Southampton Hospital, doctors told me Kay was their best patient ever. I queried that. I said, you say that to all the relatives, but they were adamant it was so in Kay's case. After Kay's death, my conscience made me feel a bit sad that I had not fulfilled her wish for me to write an autobiographical-type book, and so I set to and wrote Minnows to Marlin, which was very well received. I think I've said elsewhere how surprised I was by that, as it was long since I had written regularly, and I was no longer in the biscuitorial eye, so to speak, with all the magazine and TV characters in the angling world. But it was, and many people who never met Kay have said to me that they wish they'd met her. One thing I know, I miss her like hell. <laughs>